Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Mosher. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. We are kickstarting Movie Month. Ba, 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 ba. There we go. Killed it. Killed it. the official theme of Movie Month. I'm doing the lines roar. Y'all Sponsored just don't know by Pepsi. Coming. Here it comes. <laughs> uh, we had lunch today with a uh, former uh, guest, frequent guest on the podcast, yeah. and we were talking about the artists that were covered today, and there's no better way to kick off Movie Month than the, with this artist, yeah. with this song. The title of the song is the title of the movie, yeah. and it was, uh, this is an artist that I will tell you more about how much I've listened to him over the past year, but uh, Rob, jump straight in and tell him what we're talking about today. One of the great soundtrack songs of all time. This is St. Elmo's Fire, parentheses, there we go. Man in Motion. By John Parr. Rob loves the parentheses. Boy, if you're listening on headphones, you just got a treat. Second verse. That guitar came in, and then just the delay on the left side. Somebody, that oh my goodness, Saint Elmo's fire (parentheses) Man in Motion by John Parr from the movie Saint Elmo's Fire from the 1985 movie Saint Elmo's Fire, written by John Parr and David Foster. And as a treat, has been the theme for this season. Hang around because we're hanging out with John Parr, guys. John Parr, y'all, great guy, great interview, great hair, yeah, <laughs> great guitar, amazing. Amazing. This song went number one on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the Cashbox Top 100, number six in the UK, number one in Canada, top five or ten all over the world. It is number 495 on the Billboard all-time 600. One that is worthy that made it. All right. It got a Grammy nomination for Best Album Written for a Motion Picture or Television Special. That Grammy went to Beverly Hills Cop. How about that? Anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Eddie Murphy, thank you for stopping by. Yeah. It is the perfect 80s theme and really just a perfect 80s song. Absolutely. You know, it's got... um, Big guitars. Big synths. Yes. Big hair. Big hooks, big, big chorus. Yes, you know what I mean? Amazing. Big voice. Big it's voice. All, it's all... It, this, Upper register. This song smells like Aquanet. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's just perfect. Awesome. It smells like Aquanet and the mall. It's God, um, so good, yes. 
It's uh, and not only does it have big guitars, but one of the things I really love about this is the small guitars. Okay, it's got that clean tone mm-hmm. that only happened in the eighties. You okay, know what I mean? Yeah. It's coming back around now as sort of an homage or as sort of a you know nostalgic tone. But this this clean tone that the eighties had, Steve Lukather was on his game. You know, on this song, I mean, he's always on his game. But um, the 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 clean stuff in this, and then it's got these. Like you said, these big, you know, guitars and in the verses, I said it while it was playing, but you can, you can, I can explain a little more, but it goes, what you're expecting is, but what it does is, uh-huh. and then it's got this delay. So the guitar comes in like on the right side and then it's got this delay that you was mostly on the left side. It kind of just crosses across your head and it goes, and so that it doesn't get in the way of the lead vocal coming back in, you know, but you still get the emotional effect um, of, of that big, that, that big nasty strum. I love it. Um, the, I, I miss horn sections. Oh yeah. In pop music. Absolutely. You know, keyboard horns is fine with me. Yeah, sure. Just horn lines, yes. I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's something that we don't get as much of anymore. Although I feel like that is kind of coming back around a little bit. You know what I mean? You have, um, you know, of course you have your stuff like your snarky puppies of the world, but that's more of a horn centric thing. But I feel like you're getting some like smaller horn sections. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of somebody specific that's doing it pretty often. And now it's, it's escaping me, but it's somebody in that, like, uh, Cody Fry, um, you know, uh, Corey Wong territory. Um, I'm, there's a guy that we haven't talked about on the podcast before that I'll tell you guys to go pick up a guy named Joe Hurtler. Check him okay. out. He's very cool. He's Joe got, Hurtler. Horn, got a good horn section with him too. Okay. So. Yeah. Excellent. So people that, people that kind of grew up on this stuff that are going, where'd all the horns go? You know, uh-huh. kind of maybe kind of bringing it back. Um, a key change down a, a step and a half into the chorus. Amazing. Let's talk about this for a second. So we've talked before a little bit about how key changes used to be more common and now you don't hear them anymore. Um, for the most part. But this one is wild, dude. It, you're, we're going from the key of A major in the, in the verse to the key of F sharp major in the chorus. Uh-huh. Normally, we would expect something almost like the reverse, where it's not uncommon at all to have a verse uh, like in the way by fastball. We did F sharp minor verse a major chorus, right? Relative major. Relative major. This is not that. This is going from A major, a step and a half down to F sharp major, not even F sharp minor. Okay, so let's li- let's listen to how this happens. Okay, so what you've got there, for me, the way to be able to hear it coming is to think about where the melody's going. I don't know if that's the best way to do it or not, but so we go, trying to break free. And then that becomes, uh, uh, I can see a new horizon. So that becomes the four of the new key and it's resolving to the three. Okay, so, so it's like, okay. Does that make sense? Not really. So let's, let's listen to the chords. Four, six, five, six. Okay. So it's the chords are climbing up for five, what would be the six major. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then the melody helps sell the change. So um, you're going F sharp, E, I mean, I'm sorry, A, D, E, F sharp. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is really that climb chord okay. wise. And then you've got the, the melody. <laughs> so that becomes uh that becomes like a four three resolution mm-hmm. going into that f sharp major brilliant move yeah. and that is that is the brilliance of david foster on full display those kind of key changes and moves and stuff like that was what he really excelled at and then, then, then I want to listen to, so we're, we're going into the chorus with those. I want to listen to the transition chords coming out of the chorus. How to get back into to the To get verse. us back into the key of A major. Check this out. And the horns make this transition feel oh so right. Check it out. Come on. What we're listening to there is a D major 7. So we're in F sharp. Okay. okay? 
So we're going to a D major seven, which is like a flat six in F sharp. Or the four of the key okay. where you're going. Or the four of the key where we're going. So we're going D major seven. Then we're going D diminished, same bass note, okay? Then C sharp major to A. Okay. It okay. really does just kind of hop back down from that. So that's what would three, be a, three of new, three of original key, uh, five of the chorus key, five of chorus key. Okay, yeah. so it's it's D major seven, D diminished, C sharp major down to A. That C sharp major chord sets it up perfectly because it ties in both. That's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The C sharp becomes a, your common tone uh-huh. for both chords. You know, and his ad lib uh, is. Oh, uh-huh. it melts my whole soul like butter <laughs> every time I hear that, dude. It's so good. So good. Let's talk a little bit about the song. Um, Going to burst some bubbles on this one. It was written for the movie, mm-hmm. but not actually written about the movie. Yep. Um, and actually, this distinction kept it from being eligible for Academy Award status, which it almost certainly would have won that year because it was such a huge song. Um, for this for this soundtrack but but to be uh, eligible for the academy award the song itself has to be written about the movie can't mm-hmm. just be a song from the soundtrack um it's actually written about and we're going to talk talk to um john parr about this uh actually written about rick hansen who is a canadian activist and philanthropist and athlete in the paralympic games who had embarked on a thing called the Man in Motion World Tour, okay? This is where we get Man in Motion. It doesn't have anything to do with the movie. There's nothing in the movie about being a man in motion, you know, whatever. The wheels are not Demi Moore's Jeep. That's right. This, it's, when he says all he needs is a pair of wheels, this is Rick Hansen, okay? Rick, Rick Hansen was a, a Paralympian, and uh, after fellow Canadian athlete Terry Fox had tried to run across Canada to raise awareness for cancer research, um, he had to stop due to a, a recurrence of the cancer to which he had already lost a leg, um, Rick Hansen embarked on an even more ambitious journey to circle the globe in his wheelchair. So for 26 months, he trekked over four continents, logging almost 25,000 miles and raising $26 million for spinal cord research. Today, he continues to raise money for spinal cord injury victims and medical programs and research. Um, He's raised almost a quarter of a billion dollars for research. So good on you, Rick Hansen, and deserving of, you know, the inspiration for a great song. I mean, that is a that is a level of uh, achievement and inspirational status that is hard to even imagine. That's thumbs up all around. (laughs) Exactly. Thumbs up all around. Um, Chuck Norris, thumbs up all around. Yes, Chuck. Yes, exactly. Which is the the most important? Is there anybody that you can get a more important thumbs up from than, Chuck than from Chuck Norris, especially in the eighties up till now? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, shall we go ahead? I've got more stuff, but I feel like maybe we should go ahead and meet the band. Sure, let's meet them. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. We're going to meet the band. Buckle in, kids. This is going to be lengthy on this one. Played on this track, contributed to this track, contributed to this track. Uh, David Foster, who he mentioned on Keys, legend. From I mean, I don't know where to start with him. Everything to Chicago. Hard to say I'm sorry. Love me tomorrow. Whitney, I have nothing. Unbreak my heart. Tony Braxton. Come on. Because you love me. Celine Dion. Have you ever brought Brandy? But something I do want to play on here is the love theme from St. Elmo's Fire. Okay. Written by David Foster. Um, I think this is an underrated love theme. I love this song. Um, It's on my, I have a JP list. So... (laughs) Your private time list? Absolutely. This is good stuff. Devotion list. (laughs) So it's there. It's beautiful. It's there. It's there. It's it's perfect. Opening credits roll. It's there. It's in there. Ending credits. It's good stuff. Uh, Great, great tune. David Foster. We could talk about him for, for hours. Steve Percaro on keyboards, founding member of Toto, yep. the last surviving of the brothers. He's the mm-hmm. last surviving Percaro brother. Um, started as the keys player for Gary Wright on the Dreamweaver tour. Okay. So y'all know Dreamweaver. Yeah. Dreamweaver. I'm telling you, we're going to have to do that song sometime. We probably will. So, so good. Yeah, that's coming. We'll have some some Gary Wright-ness on here. Not him, because R.I.P. That's one of the few songs that I, you know, sometimes an artist will re-record a song um, for one reason or another, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's usually about who owns the rights to the original. Sure. Um, and that's one 
that I like the re-recorded version okay. better than the original because the re-recorded version is the version from Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one I learned first. Uh-huh. So, so to me, it was the original. And, and when and you the hear one, the other one, you're like, what are they doing? The song? Yeah, so the version they play on the radio is not the version that I learned first. The more the more heard version, uh, but the one that they play in Wayne's world is the one that I fell in love with. And I mean, they're so close, but it's just, you know, we listen to like little things, little nuances. That's so funny that we talked about that earlier on a song, me and Rob were driving uh, back from lunch. And I was like, who does the original of going down, which is a, you know, a guitar blues song. Yeah. It's a blues song from the, anyway, it's just funny that came back full circle on that. Yeah. Um, He also wrote uh, Rosanna, uh, the song inspired for his by his then girlfriend Rosanna Arquette. Okay, um, I never knew that he composed the music for Human Nature for Michael Jackson. Yeah, sure did, and played synth on the Girl Is Mine. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's awesome. So if you want to go learn everything about Africa, go back to episode one thirteen, yeah. our thirteenth episode of our very first season, yep. and uh, Toto, and we talk all about about them. You know uh, that makes sense because uh, when I say Africa, I mean the song, not if you want to learn everything about. Uh, Africa. Sure. I mean, the song and Toto. But there was basically, there was a series of, I think a couple of the most famous Michael Jackson albums that basically Toto was the mm-hmm. house band for. Yeah. The, the studio band for. Yeah, Luke plays on a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Um, played a Yamaha DX1, DX7, Mini Moog, and Roland Jupiter 8. Not exactly sure what was used on this track, but that okay. was his gear at the time. So it was one or a mixture of those four. Um, the other keyboard player, because yes, there's three keyboard players on this song. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Also the piano player and songwriter for Toto, uh, David Pate. Um, Pate. 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 Uh, Hold the Line, Africa. Uh, he's the piano player with the top hat. He also, speaking <laughs> of Michael Jackson, uh, is the piano player and co-writer on I Just Can't Stop Loving You. Oh. Another big hit. Man. Um, played with Quincy Jones, Chicago. Plays keys on Brian Adams, Please Forgive Me. Ooh, solid. Plays, uh, he is the keyboard player and writer of The Long Road, the first blood, Rambo first blood <laughs> movie wow. soundtrack. Um, there's the video on that is hilarious, by the way, because it's like this really serious, sad song, and it's Rambo just like beating the snot out of everybody. It doesn't make any, makes no sense. Makes no sense. Oh, on guitar uh we could talk about for hours steve lukather um plays an ernie ball music man called the luke that is a beautiful guitar a gorgeous guitar that's a good looking guitar um everything on the mj thriller album which we talked about plays on turn your love around by george benson yeah co-wrote it yeah co-wrote it richard marks repeat offender he's played with guitar legends such as satch eric clapton eric johnson dweezel uh, song I want you to play because okay. I'm just you could pick a Luke song, sure. But I was just trying to think of something that we haven't talked about because we try to s- sample him a lot. Go look up "Back on the Road," song called "Back on the Road," okay. and go to about minute one fifty. Steve Lukather with Earth, Wind, and Fire, everybody. Um, So uh, we haven't talked uh, much about him playing with them. He's one of those guys, you know, some guys just grab a guitar and rip. Uh Lukather is one of those guys that he knows everything he's doing. Very intentional with his solos. He He tells you where he's going. Yeah, the the theory and all. He's a real smart guy, Mm -hmm. reads music, you know, all this stuff. I mean, would sit down. I I listened to his his audio, his, his biography on audiobook. And uh, just some of the stories from, you know, just just sitting down and and really the, him and the other guys from Toto or or the other guys he was working sessions with being the ones who make the tracks we love what they are. Yeah. And it's really just a piece of paper when they sit down with it. You know what I mean? And they they take a few minutes and jam on it and and really make it the things that we you know loved about it. That's good. Um, on drums, Carlos Vega, um, he was the drummer for several years with James Taylor. He's the drummer on Physical for Olivia Newton-John. He's the drummer on Gloria for Laura Branigan. He's nice. the drummer for Cher. Um, Lukather plays guitar on that, too, that Gloria song. I, I love that song. Um, so Carlos, Is that, I think I got your number. Uh, uh, oh, no. Gloria, Gloria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, that, yeah. okay. Gloria. Yeah. I think I got your number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Who needs to play the track when we can just sing? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for um, stopping by. On trumpet, uh, Jerry Hay um, plays flugelhorn on Longer for Dan Fogelberg, okay. which is one of the songs that Rob got on Some Stump the Genius Game. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I felt played. good about that one. But I was like, how did you get Dan Fogelberg? It was, but anyway, <laughs> nailed that. Um, also, the composer of the 1997 version of Jedi Rocks for the Return of the Jedi. Wow. You know that? The no. little, it's Oh, it's the when they did the remix, the, when they brought out the Star Wars movies in 97, uh-huh. there's an added scene with some different characters. Oh, so in, oh okay, it, he's, okay. He did the music for that. Okay, so. awesome. Okay. Um, Bill Reichenbach Jr. on trombone. Um, like a Rock by Bob Seger. Okay. Swing Street, Barry Manilow, Buble, Elton John, Michael Jackson, but he's the trombone player on Change Your World for Michael W. Smith. There oh, you go. Wow. okay. <laughs> so All right. Who needs those other guys? You I thought Smitty. maybe you were going to tell me you played for John Lithgow. Oh, man. Singing in the bathtub, <laughs> right? Um, backing vocals, um, guy was a lead guitar. Oh, David Amato, okay. lead guitarist for REO Speedwagon at the time, guitarist with Ted Nugent. And vocalist on Motley Crue projects. Oh. So not every day that you have a lead guitar player that is asked to come on, like in this track, yeah. and just sing backing vocals. Yeah. Most of the time they bring their acts, but I guess if you got Luke in there, he's like, you just come in and sing. Yeah. So powerhouse vocalist. Another backing vocalist that's also a fantastic musician, uh guy named Richard Page, who's the bass and lead singer for Mr. Mister. Yeah. Uh, you know, Broken Wings. Golly. Gary what, what a crew they had on Goodness this song. Gracious. No wonder it was a freaking yeah. massive hit. I'm not going to go long on him because I want to do Mr. Mister in the future. Sure. So we're going we're gonna to do that. And on guitar and vocals, John Stephen Parr. Yeah. This guy. Man, awesome. Uh, man, I don't know. Where, we talk to him a lot. So hang around. You're going to. He has an awesome guitar. He has an awesome, awesome <laughs> guitar. I mean, he's done. We talk about some of the songs he's done for other movies and. You're gonna you're gonna like hanging around with him. I do. This is probably a good time to talk about. Um, I told Rob and our lunch guest today that at the end of the year they show you your Spotify list, which genre you've listened to the most, yep. and of that genre, like which artist you've listened to the most, and uh, and song. And I, my uh, my genre was '80s. Okay. And of the '80s. The song I listened to the most was a John Parr song. Okay. But, but it not wasn't this one. This one. Wow. So let's play a little bit of Restless Heart <laughs> by John Parr, one of my favorite songs of 2020, uh, as obvious, and one of my wife's least favorite songs because of the many times <laughs> that I've played it. Let's go. hear a little of this. I love everything about this song. <laughs> From the Running Man soundtrack. Okay. Those of y'all that heard our Arnold Schwarzenegger trivia. So John Parr, while we're listening, had sold over 10 million albums. Uh, He had previously hit the top 40 in the U.S. with his 1984 single, Naughty Naughty. And he became a big movie theme guy. He did the themes for The Running Man. He did Three Men and a Baby. Some others. He toured as an opener for Toto, and that's how he got noticed by David Foster, who was doing a lot at the time with the Toto guys. He also did some modeling work as well. He became the face of a major campaign for Chom de Baron. I'm sure I butchered that. I mean, I think it's Chom de Baron's sports leisure line. Uh, he certainly had the chin for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you gotta have a One chorus. One chorus. Let's do it. You go. He's one of those guys that just by listening to his voice, you would never guess he's British. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and he plus he's running around the, with an American flag on his guitar. <laughs> so like his his whole guitar face is an American flag. You just go, yeah, this, you know, America. This, this dude's from where would you think he's from in the states? Like uh, maybe somewhere. 
maybe New England or somewhere. Yeah, yeah that's what I was gonna go. Let's go Boston up there because of yeah, the hair. Maybe so. And, yeah. yeah. Or maybe L.A. Oh, he could have definitely been yeah, from L.A. Hundred yeah, yeah, percent. Um, but yeah. So anyway, yeah, like I said, he was, did, did a little modeling. He's got the his chin is is chiseled out of granite. <laughs> You know, to this day, like go look at him. We and go, saw him, and yeah. maybe you guys did too. If you saw our promo video, yeah, man, that guy, guy's chin—he's really got a <laughs> really got it going on there. Let's talk a little bit about David Foster. Um, David Foster. Let's see, is there anything? I, well, is there anything I missed on David Foster? I'm not sure. Um, he's won 16 Grammy awards, 47 nominations. Goodness gracious! Written tons and tons of hit songs. Um, he's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um, here's what I'll say about David Foster. The guy is among other things, like he writes rockers like this. Um, I thought you were going to say he writes really good songs. He writes really good songs. <laughs> and you know, um, and, he, and he's writing a, you know, we're going to do another David Foster song soon. Um, but, uh, but I tell you what he really is. You think of the stuff he did for like Chicago in the eighties that sort of revitalized oh, yeah. their, you know, whatever Hard to it say, was I'm like sorry, the ballads, yeah. the, you know, the whatever stuff he's the soft rock guru. That's okay. Mm-hmm. David. And this is where I'm going to get controversial here. Uh, David Foster is what Barry Manilow wishes he was. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about it. I know you're a big I am Barry a fan Manilow, of guy, but, uh, that's what I'm going to say about him. Yeah, I had a whole other thing on David David Foster, but we can save it. For my original minute. thing was I was going to read a bunch of stuff about him being on Married with Children, uh, uh-huh. and then I was going to be like, "Oh wait, that's David Faustino, uh-huh. the guy that played Bud Bundy." Yeah. Anyway, it's not it. What it wouldn't have been funny then. It's not funny now. Just forget I ever did. It, okay, going ahead and throwing the punchline early. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, uh, the album, the Saint Elmo's Fire soundtrack. Um, there's a song on it called This Time It Was Really Right by John Anderson. Uh, not that John Anderson, by the way, not... John Anderson, wow. thank you for coming by. That, that, that was, thanks for that was the best off. John Anderson of my that was, life. That was good. Listen, right and we captured it. Shall I go into, recording. Shall I go into straight tequila night? <laughs> shall I do an encore? Um, it, let's listen to it. It sounds like there's a song going on, and then there's a random synth hi-hat happening beside it. Okay, listen to this mix. Everything is so dark, and there's this hi hat just out there in left field doing its thing, like sort of appearing here and there. Let's let's take a listen to this. Snares present. You hear the hi hat in your right just ear. Just the right. It's like. I don't know. It's like it's totally separate from everything else. It doesn't have any reverb in it to tie it to the rest of the song. It's it's just like, who left the hi-hat loop on? It's so weird. (laughs) It's all I can... I can't listen to the rest of the song. I hear it too. I can't hear it. I only hear the hi-hat. There's so much going on. I only hear the hi-hat. Anyway. uh, That's a case of where it's not good to listen in headphones. That's the one example in the world. You'd be better served on the radio or in mono. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's some other, other, you know, good stuff on here. Young and Innocent by Elefante, uh, some, uh, Billy Squire on there, Airplay. David Foster's got a song on there called Georgetown. Um, so good stuff on there. Uh, let's see, let's talk about the movie, unless you got something else on the soundtrack. Okay. The movie, St. Elmo's Fire. I've never seen it. I have. Um, but apparently, you can tell me, apparently the song may be the best and almost certainly most (laughs) enduring thing about it. I didn't hate it. No, a lot of people hate the movie. It's, uh. I mean, it's it's pretty cheesy. Uh, yeah. Let's just be. It's '80s cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, great cast, though. Featured, yeah, members of the Brat Pack: Brat, Emilio uh, Estevez, Rob Lowe, Judd Nelson, Demi Moore. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And so, the, and the Brat Pack are a group of actors and actresses in their early twenties at the time who did a lot of movies together. And so, the the hubs of which are San Elmo's Fire and The Breakfast Club. Sorry. Okay. So the Brat Pack includes at its core, as you said, Emilio Estevez. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, who was in Breakfast Club, uh, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy, uh, who is at her very sheediest in Elmo, St. Elmo's Fire. Um, I've got a great segue out of that if okay. we're done with the movie. Yeah, I've but, got a, a little bit more tell, on the Brat Pack, but go for tell, it. No, tell a little bit. Okay, so uh, apparently this group, at least many of them, became real life tight with each other during mm-hmm. the filming of St. Elmo's Fire. And they hung out a lot and were very close. That is until the name Brat Pack was applied to them. Uh, a writer for New York Magazine, David Bloom, uh, was doing an article on Emilio Estevez, 
who invited him to come hang out with uh, him, Rob Lowe, Judd Nelson, and a few others at the Hard Rock Cafe. Um, by the way, if you ever want me to hang out, invite me to the Hard Rock. That's right. I'm, I'm in. Such a sucker for that place. Um, and get I'll, the local burger, no I'll matter what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Bloom ends up shifting the article to be about the group, giving them the moniker Hollywood's Brat Pack and painting them, painting them in a negative, unprofessional, self-absorbed kind of light. After the article comes out, it becomes the group's reputation, which had not been the case before. They stop hanging out because they now have to try and escape this image, and the group grows apart. The guy later admitted he should never have written the article, but the damage to the group and the reputations had been done. Well, there you go. I've got a way to tie it in to stump the genius. Oh, we'll play the jingle. Do it. And here we go. Okay. All right. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. It's time to stump the genius. I take your part. All right. We're going to play Stump the Genius. And we talked about two people in this movie uh, Emilio Estevez and Rob Lowe. Okay. They've done some terrible movies. <laughs> and, that, and I bet I didn't know. Over half of the movies okay. they've done. Maybe I did. Some I'd recognized, and then I'd see it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that. Okay. So I'm going to name you the name of a movie, uh-huh. and you just tell me whether it was Which Emilio one? Estevez or Rob Lowe. Okay. I'm going to give you 10. Ooh, um, right. we'll and so you got 50, 50 seconds. So here okay. we go, fast. Uh, Nightmares as J.J. Cooney. Rob Lowe. Emilio Estevez, 0 for 1. Uh, let's go with Wisdom as John Wisdom. Rob Lowe. Emilio Estevez, <laughs> 0 for 2. Okay, here we go. Uh, Oxford Blues as Nick D'Angelo. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, there we go. Ding, 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 <laughs> I'm ding, just going to guess him for process everyone. Process of elimination. <laughs> Repo Man as Automatics. I feel like that's Emilio. That is Emilio Estevez. Good job. I don't know why I know that's that. That's one of the ones I've actually seen. That was then. This is now as Mark Jennings. Mark Jennings sounds more like a... Rob Lowe character. That is Emilio. <laughs> uh, let's go with Hotel New Hampshire as John Barry. I'm going to go with Emilio Estevez. That is Rob Lowe. As good as Rob has done oh. the past few weeks. This is tougher than it looks. Young Blood hockey movie. Trickery. I'm going to say Rob Lowe because you want it me to is. say Emilio because <laughs> of Mighty Rob Ducks. Lowe. That's right. No, no fastball there. Masquerade as Tim Whalen. I'm... Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Yes. Correct. Okay. These all sound the same. Nobody really cares. Seriously. Class as Skip. I think Emilio. Rob Lowe. Dang it. We're going to go with Maximum Overdrive as Bill Robinson. <laughs> based, I don't know. Based on Trucks by Stephen King. Maximum Overdrive. I'll go Emilio. Then we're going Emilio. Hey. And we'll wrap it up. I don't know if I got through all of them, but that was a rapid fire. Have you seen any of those movies? Never. No. So, never. yeah, that was fun. I've only heard of maybe two Looks of like them. Looks like you got, let me make sure I got what, through. three? I think I might have missed one in there, but you got four. Let me see if I got through all Jeez. ten. I don't know. What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite Rob oh, Lowe and your favorite Emilio? Oh. No, 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 no. Oh. Uh, just in general. In general, Emilio Mighty Ducks 2. Okay. No doubt. Closely followed by his short role in the Mission Impossible first one. Oh. Where he's in their minor role, oh, okay. and I love what he does in that. Okay, all right. Uh, my my Emilio movie uh, would be uh, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One. Okay, there you with go. Samuel, Samuel Jackson, Jackson and him as the two yes. main like lethal weapon type characters. Yes. Good um, call. I've seen that movie a million times. That's good. Um, and then my favorite work of Rob Lowe's ever is going to be his work on the West Wing. Okay, but, I'm going Parks and Rec. Okay, so that's Chris it, Traeger. Yeah, no, but my fa- movie wise though, it's got to be Wayne's World. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Rob Lowe and Wayne's World. I've just seen it so many times. Yeah, I can't. That's, I, that's good. I have a problem thinking of him any, any other way. Can't, can't argue with that at Benjamin. all. Benjamin. So great job on stump. Well, I won't say great job. Job no, terrible on job. stump the yes. genius. Job. job on stump the genius. The I was I was uh, I was uh, who's the drummer for um who's the drummer for Grand Funk um, Mel Shocker yeah. yeah right I was the adequate <laughs> drumming of Mel Shocker <laughs> on that that was me. <laughs> Uh, okay, a few notes. Uh, let's let's talk for a second about what St. Elmo's Fire actually is. Okay. Okay? Um, and I think, do they talk about this a little bit in the movie? Do they explain what St. Elmo's Fire actually it's is? It's a bar in the movie. Oh, in the, okay. In the movie, it's just a bar. Okay. Well, so it, in, th- in that case, it has nothing to do with either the movie itself or the subject of the actual song. Um, as I understand it, I'll try and explain it as best I can if I'm, if I'm getting it right. St. Elmo's Fire was originally a nautical term for a kind of plasma discharge that would occur under certain atmospheric conditions. When the air and ground, or sea, uh, are at a heightened charge separation, sharp objects 
can concentrate electric fields, ionize the air around them, and create what essentially looks like a lightning storm on them, or something like Emperor Palpatine's finger lightning okay. from, from, uh, from Star, Star Wars. Wars, okay? So at sea, when the only sharp objects around are the high points and the bows of ships, the sharp points would sometimes become charged in this electric-looking way and give off what became known as St. Elmo's fire. St. Elmo, also known as St. Erasmus, had the reputation of having continued preaching the gospel even after a lightning bolt struck right next to him. Wow. So sailors began praying to St. Elmo to keep them safe during tumultuous times at sea. That's awesome. And thus this like electrical charge became known as St. Elmo's That's fire. That's great. Educational here. Educational. We're learning podcast. together. That's right. The more you know. Yeah. Uh, okay. A few more notes. I got a couple more notes and then we're going to get to John Parr. Um, Let's talk for a second about Tim Tebow's fire. Oh, yeah. We and talked, we talked to, John to him about, about it, this, but it was written in 2012 in honor of the then Broncos quarterback. Uh, John said he was inspired by Tim's play and the way he lives his life as an example. And, uh, you know, it's also, let's not kid ourselves, it's also a convenient way to sell a few copies of a song to a rabid fan base. There right? you go. Yeah. Uh, shall we take a, should we take a listen to no. Tim Tebow's fire? Okay. No. You can look it up for yourself. I'm a Falls fan. Tim On we go. <laughs> Tim Tebow's fire. All right. But it's uh, it, the lyrics say, I can see a new horizon blazing on the mile high because he's playing for Denver. <laughs> Denver. I'll be where the Eagles flying higher and higher. Going to be your man in motion. All I need is my Broncos team. Take me where my future's lying. Tim Tebow's fire. There we go. You remember when Tebow was like the hot oh mess gosh, all of yeah. a sudden People in Denver? People Tebowing all over the place. Yeah, the te- that's right. The Tebowing was like, it was like the dab before the dab, that's you right. know? Um. Man in Motion appears in a scene in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the animated movie uh, from 2018, which is incredible. Have you seen it? Uh-uh. Oh, it's so it's one of the best animated movies ever. Um, anyway, if you've seen it, it appears in the scene in which Miles Morales and Peter Parker are eating in a diner together. Um, according to Rodney Rothman, co-writer and co-director of Into the Spider-Verse, they wrote and produced an alternate universe version of it. It was called St. Ulrich's Fire. And John Parr came in and sang it, but he said it ran into a, a legal snag and they weren't able to release it. Mm. Um, I didn't know this until after we interviewed him. We de- I definitely would have asked him about it because the if you know anything about the Spider-Verse, it's sort of a multiple realities, multiple universes sort of colliding kind of story. Okay. And so um, a, a, an alternate universe version of this would have been really cool to yeah, hear. And, 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 a, and it would have, it, it's background in the scene. It's not a major point or anything. So... If it had been a thing where you could have caught it like as an Easter egg, you know what I mean? You go, wait, that's St. Elmo's Fire. What are they singing? Mm-hmm. That would have been mind, absolutely mind-blowing. That would have been incredible. Okay, I'm tapped out. I'm good. Do you have let's anything talk, else? Let's talk to John. Let's talk to John Parr. Uh, we're going to talk to him about shaving commercials <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. Let me tell you, the guy knows how to capitalize on a song Brilliant. and make a buck. Absolutely. For sure. You've got to respect that. Uh, we're going to talk to John, but uh, before we do, go right now to your computer, your smartphone, uh, whatever you're doing. Get on social media and follow us at Great Song Pod, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can join our uh, group, Great Songs, and the great people who love them greatly on Facebook. And if you want to go the extra mile and support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash greatsongpod. And as our way of saying thank you, we can give you some early access, bonus content, uh, full bonus episodes each week during the season. Send us your favorite extended, Emilio Estevez movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, extended interviews, it's all there on, on Patreon. Uh, or as always, you can go to greatsongpodcast.com for all your Great Song Podcast needs. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at the end to tuck you in and say your prayers after the interview. Uh, but right now, let's kick it over to John Parr. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with the man himself, the voice of St. Elmo's Fire, parentheses, man in motion. Y'all know I love a good parentheses we love parentheses. Song. Love it. We are talking to John Parr. John, how are you today, sir? I'm great. I'm speaking to you from Yorkshire in England, and it's great to be talking to you over in Nashville. Excellent. Yorkshire. So what, what part of England is Yorkshire? We're totally unfamiliar with, with geographical uh, locations in, in England. Uh, if you drew if you drew a line from like Manchester across, I'm on the east. Okay. Um, yeah, near near Robin Hood country. There we go. Excellent. Okay. Now All you're right. speaking our language. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a reference <laughs> yeah. Americans get. All that's right, good. Right. We're, we're there. <laughs> so uh, let's let's start right away with kind of the backstory of of the song uh, from Saint Elmo's Fire. 
Um, tell us a little bit about the the actual uh, inspiration for the song itself, and then we're going to ask you a little bit about the recording. But tell us the story behind the song. Well, it, it's strange because it was a very, very tight uh, timeline. We'd got a couple of days to come up with something. And uh, and David didn't really uh, want to write a song. He, he'd already done, uh, this is David Foster. Yeah, he'd done the... Uh, yeah, I mean, do you want me to go? How deep do you want me to go here? As deep as you would like to it's go. It's your world. We're we gonna can... we're gonna get to all these questions. Right, so right. as many of them as you want to include, okay. go for it. Yeah. So I mean, well, but but basically, uh, I wasn't getting uh, I wasn't getting inspired by the the subject of the film so much. I couldn't really identify with it. And David Foster showed me a a little short video of uh, a young fella from uh, from Vancouver who broke his back in a car accident called Rick Hansen. And he said, it's nothing to do with the movie, but um, maybe it'll inspire you. And he put this little 10 minute, like local news footage of Rick, Rick Hansen on. And uh, it was about this, you know, beautiful looking young fella that just broke his back in a freak accident in a car crash. And uh, he decided he was going to wheel this wheelchair around the world on the Madden Motion Tour. And uh, this video that I'm watching literally has about three men and a dog waving Rick off as he leaves <laughs> Vancouver in his wheelchair. And on the truck that was following me, it said Rick Hansen, Man in Motion World Tour. And the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I just said to David, I'm, I'm going to write this lyric about Rick. And he says, we'll never get, get it past the movie company. I said, well, I'll write it ambiguous. So they think, the wheels of Demi Moore's Jeep, and for once in his life, a man has his time is when Emilio gets the girl. And, of course, it's entirely about – it's a prediction. It was written t- two years before Rick actually completed the okay. the journey, but he did complete it, yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. And uh, so uh, uh, did you – when did you know that it was going to get past – uh, sort of the uh, was it the was it the uh, record label that you were worried about or the or the movie producers that you were worried about going no this isn't close enough you know we can't use this totally the movie company okay. I mean Atlantic really that you know wasn't their bag and and um, they they really weren't into San Elmo's Fire at all my label okay that, at that point they did they didn't like me making movies they they uh, they wanted me to to be their new rock star and they felt that San Elmo's was too left field. Wow. Okay. And it turns out they were pretty wrong about that. Um. <laughs> well, they, they stuck to their guns. I mean, really, they never, they never promoted me thereafter. So all the movies I did, I did 10 movies after that. And then, you know, some of the biggest movies in, in, in the year. And, and I never had a re- record release with that. Wow. You know. Man, wow. Uh, so I did read that this, once you got it, once, you, once the song is written, uh, that it all came together very quickly after that, as far as the recording, the mixing. It was a very, a very uh, compressed period. Is that right? It was literally, I met David for the first time, I think, on the uh, Friday. And um, he, as I say, he'd, he'd been doing this, uh, the soundtrack to the movie, or the score, and he was doing 10 original tracks wow. as well. So by the time I got there, he said to me, look, I'm burned, man. I'm, I'm sorry I got you here. Will you sing this? And he played me this song and it really wasn't great. And I said, look, man, we, we can do better. And he, and he says, I'm, I'm fried. Please do it. I said, just give me half an hour. Anyway, we went in the control room for half an hour and we wrote a song. I went, wow, this is great. And he went, we can do better. We wrote another one, <laughs> 10 minutes. I said, I said, great. He went, we can do better. And <laughs> wow. within an, an hour, we, we'd done St. Elmo's and that was the one. But of course, Everything was written except that lyric, and but but we and then the overdubs, the vocal, and everything happened over that weekend. And literally, the movie company biked the biked the song to the edit suite and dubbed it into the movie. So they wow. they kind of, I think, before they had time to think about what Man in Motion was, they'd already <laughs> kind of put it to bed. Wow, that really worked in your favor. That's that's fascinating. What's it like? Yeah, man. What's it like? We're going to ask you about David Foster, but I, I just want to know. You know, he's for for the people who are listening. We've talked about him a little before. David Foster is a is a songwriting and and producer legend. I mean, he's you know sort of the, on the on the uh, you know what we would call in the states the Mount Rushmore of of uh, you know of producers yeah. and writers. Uh, what kind of fortitude does it take to tell David Foster we can do better? <laughs> 
No, no. He said to me, we can do better. Okay. Oh, okay. I, the we, only thing I said, no, we, no. It was him. We thought you were like, nah, Dave, I got one on nah, today. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, the only thing I said to him in, in the outset was, oh, sorry, yeah. We just, just give me, just give me half an hour. You know, let's see what we can come up with. Okay. And that was the. But I, I didn't really know. I mean, I was green. I mean, I literally came over from England. Naughty, naughty was my first record and was yeah. a, a big record for me. And David had heard that. I was touring with Toto, who did a lot of work with David. So they kind of gave me a bit of backstory. Sure. But you know, I walked in that room. And within, you know, 10 minutes, we were just two guys in a room trying to do the best we could. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't kind of, you know, in his shiny suit and <laughs> with his, uh, you know, the, with his whip out, you know, it was, right. it was really, and we became friends from that moment. I guess that kind of blatant honesty he wasn't so used to, you know, yeah. of late. <laughs> you, uh, you, you mentioned Toto. So just for our listeners, can you clarify who the personnel is on this track? Who plays what? Do you remember who played what on the? Because I know some Toto members play yeah. some other members. Can you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Landau played guitar, but I also think Steve Lukather had played some guitar. Um, it was obviously uh, Jerry Hay in the horn section uh, who did a, a lot of the uh, Thriller stuff, and because uh, Jerry Hay did a lot of the uh, arrangements for Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, the interesting one was the backing vocals. That was should have been. Richard Marks. Richard at that time was uh, just working as a backing singer for David Foster, and it was his day off. <laughs> and wow. so the ba- so the backing vocal was done by Richard Page from Mr. Mister. You know that, just yeah. how far I go. Yeah, that answer voice. I always say to Richard, man, imagine what career you'd have had if you'd have sung on my record. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, you've mentioned some other movies that you've done stuff with. We know you did uh, the song for Three Men and a Baby, The Minute I Saw You. Yeah. Great, great song. Yeah, with David. Hu- hugest hugest uh, film of 87. So are you, are you, uh, do you have Tom Selleck and uh, Ted Danson and uh, Steve Gutenberg on your radar? Do you know who they are? On speed, on speed dial. Right. <laughs> yeah. if, if you could have no. lunch with either Magnum or Sam from Cheers or uh, Mahoney from the yeah. Police Academy, who, who do you pick? Who's your lunch buddy? It would be Tom. It would be Tom. Tom, Selleck, that's right. right. Got to yeah, go with I the think, mustache. Yeah, man. Good, good taste. Yeah, good taste in women and cars. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. That's- how do you end up? How do you, you just you said that you did uh, after after saying almost fire? You ended up doing ten soundtracks. Uh, is that yeah. a thing where? Uh, executives go, man, this guy really killed it on this soundtrack and his, and his, you know, his voice. And they kind of ride the wave and they go, well, we got to get John Parr. If we want a successful soundtrack now, we need John Parr as part of it. <clears throat> what usually happens is they, uh, certainly in the mid eighties, they'd have a, a lot of the movies had what you call temp tracks. So it could right. be, you know, t- songs that never made it into the movie. Uh, I remember when we did uh, the Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man, the temp track they had was uh, U2, Where the Streets Have No Name. Okay. And uh, so they wanted us, they want, yeah, that was their direction. But generally what happens, it's certainly in that era, they'd have a blackboard with the hit list of all the people that were in the charts, and they'd go, let's try him, let's try him, whatever. And fortunately, uh, when I wasn't in the charts, I was usually doing good at the box office. So I was, <laughs> I was hot for two or three years. But, but then it goes cold, you know, once you're kind of, you know, not on that blackboard, then it, it doesn't matter, you know, how strong you are at your job. It, it's about, you know, so if you look at the Bond movies, you know, they always pick sure. uh, the latest thing. They pick the latest hot thing because it gets them a new demographic. Right. You know? This is uh you you touched on the uh, on the Running Man soundtrack. It, it, every time we interview people, I I take a second and I talk about what I love about them. So this is just going to be a minute for me to brag on you and let our listeners uh, take a gander into my favorite era of John Parr, uh, which is the Man with a Vision album, which has Restless Heart on there, which was a re-release of the Running Away with You from the the Running Man soundtrack, yeah. the Schwarzenegger movie. It, I'll tell our listeners yeah. if you haven't listened to that album, it's amazing. That's one that I can listen. Uh, Start, start to finish. I love Ghost Driver with the good slow swell ballad. Oh, yeah. Everybody needs one of those. I, I would think that's my favorite under the radar John Parr song, except for wow. the one that's right after, which is Come Out Fighting. Uh, that's your entrance of the saxophone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And anytime you can use the line Fire Brigade in a, in a that's a great <laughs> lyric. Um, but my favorite overall John Parr rhyme, I can't believe nobody ever did it, was in Restless Heart to do the shattered and mattered. I'm 
I'm just going to challenge our listeners to yeah. go listen to that. That entire section <laughs> is money. So that's that's my favorite John Parr era is the entire Man with a Vision album. So, well, let me tell you a little a little secret about that song. Two funny stories. Let's hear. I was written with a guy called. Well, it was written with a guy called Harold Faltermeyer. Absolutely, who just come off. You know, and they said to me, they said, I was really hot in America at the time, and I didn't know who Harold was. And uh, they had me in a meeting. So I want you to work with this German guy in Munich. And I went, man, it's took me all this time to get to Hollywood. Why would I go to Munich? And then they put on Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun, you know. <laughs> I thought, man. Yeah, I was on the plane. Yeah. And um, so I met, I met up with, I met up with, uh, with Harold. And uh, believe it or not, I mean, uh, it was a world of analog back then, you know, uh, digital was almost unheard of. And I remember Harold saying, John, I have something to show you. It's going to be great. We're going to go down to my, uh, my secret dream. And I thought he's going to show me this, uh, digital studio. I knew he'd got a digital studio and he flung open the doors and it was a, a meat preparation room and it was full of bacon <laughs> slices and mincing machines. You love it. Oh, you love it. It's great. Huh? Mm. And it turns out he was a hunter, you know, Munich's in Bavaria and the guys there, they have the hunting dog and you know, it's like the South, you know, they, yeah. they go out hunting and, and do their own meat. And that was my week with Harold, you know, it was uh, That's hilarious. beer and, uh, and game. <laughs> but the funny thing is, as you're such a fan of the song, just to put a line on it, um, the, when I wrote the song, I instantly came up with this idea of, uh, because it was a, you know, a movie about gambling, they were betting on who lived and who died. And so the original lyric was, would you bet your life on a running man, roll the dice on a one life stand? And I thought, wow, that is mm. such a strong line. Uh-huh. And uh, the movie company said, we don't want you to say running man in the song. Wow. Oh, wow. And it freaked me out. Can you believe it? You know, and, and it's because they had time to say no. They said no. You're like, have you seen uh, St. Elmo's and, Fire? I used the word St. <laughs> Elmo's Fire in the title. And yeah. It's a hit. <laughs> but, but I think maybe given time, they could have changed that too. When film companies have lived with a title, movies can take four or five years mm, to get yeah. from beginning to end. And they get tired of the title. Whereas I think The Running Man is such an emotive title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was just cold meat. It was cold meat to them. And so when they heard the word, it just didn't switch, switch them on. Wow. So uh, having, re- having recorded the song, I had to go back a week later, rewrite it, and change it to Restless Heart. Which wow. I, I love. Um, it's, and I realized that it was in the 80s when it came out. But your album actually comes out in 92 I, I want to phrase this in a great way, but the thing I love about the 92 Man with a Vision album is even though it's released in 92, it's everything I love about 80s music encapsulated and a little bit more modernized. So it's wonderful. I, I, yeah. It was, thank you. It was recorded in uh, probably between 87 and 89. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, Atlantic had dropped me at that point. They heard those songs on the album and said, it's not for us. And uh, I thought, man, you're kidding me. We've got a, wow. a number one movie on there. Mm-hmm. Man with a Vision, I thought was a smash. And, uh, you know, and we got Bobby Whitlock out of Derek, Derek and the Dominoes with Ghost Driver, you know. And mm-hmm. so, so I was out in the cold and kind of, you know, forced to put that record out on little tiny labels. And wow. that's how you fall down the mountain. You know, yeah, I fools, heard, fools, Atlantic. I, know, right? I heard that uh, actually allowed you to spend some more time with your family, which I know a lot of people in the business can't say that they've got the time to spend with their family because they're so focused on their career. Talk about that, the importance of family and the little bit there where you got to. to- well, I think to any of your listeners out there and, and maybe even to yourselves, I mean, I've lived a long life and uh, I would say that uh, sometimes what you think is the worst thing that could happen to you is sometimes the best. You just don't realize at that time. And as uh, with Atlantic kind of starting to get cold feet, I also, uh, I put my faith in somebody in my organization that uh, turned out to be a criminal. And uh, I took a court case out and uh, he was very clever and was able to string me through the courts for 19 years. Whoa. So So for 19 years, right up to 2010, I couldn't work. I couldn't get a major record deal because there's a little box that says are you in litigation and if you tick that box your history and so for 19 years i could yeah so but so that was tragedy but the beauty was uh my wife and i started a family so i never missed a day out of my two sons life as they grew into men so that was my blessing 
That's awesome. Wow, that's it's a sad story turned awesome from the family right, standpoint. Yeah, well, let's uh, yeah. let's try to bring it up just a little bit with <laughs> Tim Tebow's fire. Yeah, I got my violin. Got my violin out here, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a I'm a huge Vols fan, the UT Vols. So I don't know if you're familiar with college football in the states, but the University of Tennessee's biggest rival is probably Florida, who's where Tim Tebow went to college. So I am not yeah. a Tim Tebow fan at all, but I love <laughs> your story on Tim Tebow's fire. So tell us a little bit about kind of the backstory on that. Well, I went up to um, I went up to the what's the big TV sports station in America? For NSPN is it? E- uh, yeah, ESPN. ESPN yes. yes, sir. ESPN. So I went up to ESPN because they wanted to meet me and talk about doing some music for something. And uh, had they saw my guitar in the car and they said, "You wouldn't play live on the show tonight, would you?" At five o'clock, and I went, "Yeah, yeah." So just as I'm about to play live, they threw a shirt at me, and uh, it was a Tebow shirt. And I, d- I didn't know who Tebow was. <laughs> so I said, would you wear it? And I went, sure, you know. And I was just going to play St. Elmo's. So I put the shirt on, and, uh, and they go, action, and I'm playing St. Elmo's Fire. And then I see on the screen all these shots of Tebow, you know, going down on one knee, doing these amazing things. So I just started singing, you know, Tim Tebow's Fire, you know, in the <laughs> middle of it. Boom. And of course, it went crazy. It got oh, 19 million views, I think, in about a week. That's you know, amazing. But it was an accident. You know, it's an accident. Wow. That's, that's, that's some good, quick thinking. That's, that's really uh, thinking <laughs> on your feet there. <clears throat> um, yeah, man. I do want to tie back one question since we were talking about visually things like the, the shows and everything and the, or the, the movies and such. The video for St. Elmo's Fire. Okay, so it's a. Uh, I'll let you tell a little bit about it, but you really didn't know. You didn't have Emilio and Rob Lowe and Judd Nelson. They, the Brat Pack wasn't really on your radar, right? You didn't really know who they Not were. Not at all. That's- no, and for sure they didn't know who I was, you know, and and they definitely didn't want to be there. If you look at their faces in that video, they generally didn't really want to be there. <laughs> tell me you still have the Stars and Stripes guitar from the video, though. The, I do. That's amazing. I do, yeah. I have that. Uh, you know, I've had that guitar since 1972, and uh, my friend uh, who I went to school with, since we were like a, six years old, uh, he had a fiberglass company, and he made this fiberglass front for the Les Paul in 72. So that guitar was, you know, in my formative years, right through to making it in America, and I'm still looking at it here. I wish it was on camera. You could see. But, oh, yeah. dude, that's so cool. It's the, we'll, post, yeah. we'll post a picture of it on our Instagram. Yeah, we'll, we'll show, the, yeah. We'll show yeah. the world. I, so uh, I'm going to go on because I, I I know um, you've you've had your work featured in a number of like we said movies and also in advertising campaigns. You know, obviously, Cinema's yeah. Fire has been used in a number of them. I wanted to ask you about another yeah. one. Uh, you wrote the song "The Best," which became an iconic jingle uh, here in the U.S. and I imagine in the U.K. as well for the company Gillette, making uh, razors and, and that kind of thing. Um, can you tell us about that yeah. process of having a song licensed for a major company like that for what ends up being a, a decades long ad campaign? Yeah, it's actually in reverse. Originally, the the jingle was written, the jingle came first, and that was a guy called Jake Holmes. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Dazed, yeah, da- he wrote Dazed and Confused for Zeppelin. Okay. And um, so BBD&O, which were the advertising agency, they came to me and said, look, we got this little jingle. Do you think you can stretch it into something big and powerful? And I listened to the jingle, and the jingle had some lovely uh, melody and some nice sentiments. So I, I just really developed it to, to, into that father-son, uh, oh, father-daughter even, you know, even though, you know, the best a man can get. Sure. I see it as, when, when I sing it on stage, I always say, you know, what's the best a man or a woman can get? And it's our kids. So it's a song about our kids and, you know, the, you know, the preciousness and how, how we try and elevate them to to do to do the, you know the best they can and again it's another one of those songs where vocally i had to be epic you know because you know they're a champion you know you want your kid to be a champion that's fascinating i love that that you took that you took the jingle element and turned it into such a great uh, such a great song. I love that. We got just a couple more for you. I got one more uh, because you're the first person that we've that we've uh, talked to, I believe, that has done work with Meatloaf. I'd like to ask you a little bit about how that happened, and and you know what's it what was it like for you uh, uh, doing work with Meatloaf earlier on? I was a struggling uh, musician in England. Uh, couldn't get a record deal. 
and uh, managed to get a little publishing contract uh, in London. In London, uh, terrible deal. They paid me five hundred pounds, four hundred for the four hundred for the lawyer, fifty quid for the train ticket. So I made fifty quid. Wow! But they paid for my demos, so I got a hundred pounds to make demos every time I made a demo. Okay. And so I started making these demos and um, very quickly the phone rang and it w- they said, Meatloaf wants to meet you. You know, will you go up to, it was Newcastle, which is about 100 miles north. So I went up to uh, Newcastle City Hall and, and met Meatloaf, but I went up with three songs that I'd, I'd demoed and copied his voice. <laughs> so uh, when he heard them, it was like him singing it, you know. And uh, he said, I, I love it. I'm making this new record. Will you come to America and 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 help me on the record? And it literally was like that. And I I went to America the following week. I lived with him for six weeks. Um, we it was the East Street Band then, and some of the and, and some of what is the Meatloaf Band. And we made I think it was the Bad Attitude album. Uh, but me, Meatloaf and I just stayed pals all since then. We we did a song called Rock and Roll Mercenaries together, and um, we travel the world doing that i've done a few shows with him he's just a friend you know it's great fantastic do you call him meatloaf what do you call him when you talk to him yeah meat, meat. everybody even oh. his wife calls him meat his okay. kids call him meat yeah. don't that. call me marvin okay don't call me marvin it's his favorite saying yeah. don't call me marvin <laughs> one last even though he says it's michael <laughs> <laughs> one last question that we ask everybody um i'll be uh, and then we'll let you let you enjoy your day thank you so much for your time john you've been great but something we ask i'm every- i'm yours as I'm yours as long as you want me, man. I'm enjoying this. Outstanding. It's great. Dude, we'd love to hear that. Thank you so much. Um, so you're on tour, um, and you go into a gas station. Um, it, can be, it doesn't have to be in the United States. You're on tour. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of that, I'll, oh. tell, you, I'll tell you mine. Um, that we t- I, get a three, I get a three musketeers bar, which in America, that's the, that's the biggest candy bar you can get for, like, it's the most ounces. My mom would say you could get any candy bar you want, and I would get that one because it's the most ounces. What's your <laughs> gas station <laughs> snack food of choice? It would be. I don't know if you have it in America. We have a Kit. You know Kit Kat? Oh, oh absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Give me a break. Give me a break. <laughs> but the big Kit Kat, not those little skinny finger ones. Okay. The big, thick finger one. You know, have you seen that one? I think where, where it's sort if of like you, a, one, a one bar kind of thing. Like you smudged all the four together and made this big one. Right. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. That's the one. That's excellent. Excellent choice. I think you're our first Kit Kat. That's our first Kit Kat. Yeah, yeah, we've so. asked a lot of people. There you go. Uh, that was that was wonderful. Thank you so <laughs> much for that. Well, why don't you tell uh, Why don't you tell our, our listeners what's coming up for you? What's on the horizon for John Parr? Uh, and where can they Where can they find uh, you know what's What's coming next from you? Well, I mean, like everybody out there, you know, I've been locked down this past four months. So I was all ready to get back out on the road. We were going to do. Uh, I think a crew, we're going to do some shows in America and do a rock cruise and it, all, it, everything just got moved exactly one year. So, um, all I've been doing is, um, I've been, I said I wasn't going to do it and, uh, I was going to take it easy, but I just ended up thinking, well, what can I do a bit of good? And so I started, uh, doing a bit of work for our health service over here in England. I, I made a film for the, for your health service in America and I made one for for the one in England, and and you know all the money goes to those. Um, I've been doing a thing uh, uh, in Hollywood. We do it every weekend. Uh, I do it from here in Yorkshire, but um, we um, we have uh, about a six hour show, and we we do it for specific causes in America. Uh, and uh, we've raised, I think, eight million dollars in the last twelve weeks for. Wow you know, the homeless, the health services, and the and the public hospitals. So I've been doing that. And then, of course, my album, I've got the new record, and that is just uh, sitting on the back burner. I'm about just ready to mix. So the record uh, is very much like John Parr 1. It's much more kind of raw album, uh, full of strong tunes, I think. And I think I'm singing and playing pretty good on it. So I have right. good hopes for that. Excellent. Yes. Well, we hope that does super well, and we'll make sure and yeah, we'll, let, we'll let everybody know. We'll, we'll, that's right. We'll spread the word when it's out. Um, thank so, you, man. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real treat, and uh, and we hope all the best for you in the future. I look forward to meeting up with you two guys when I'm back over. I mean, it's been 
It's been a while, but uh, Nashville's such a great place. I yeah, look us up when you Absolutely. come over. We'll, we'll show you the ropes as Absolutely. long as uh, people are out, yeah, man. Out, out to getting about. <laughs> out about. Yeah, man. Thank That'd you so delightful. much, John. This has been so much fun Brilliant. for us. You've been a great interview. Our oh. listeners are going to love hearing from you. you can, you're a rock star, one of our <laughs> favorites. Keep keep it up. Keep doing your thing. And if we can ever do anything for you, please don't ever hesitate to reach out. We'll do anything we can for you, man. You, you're doing great. Thank you so much. It's been right. my pleasure talking to you. Buddy. This has been God fun. bless. Thank, Thank you very much. All the best. See you, buddy. Bye, Bye man. Bye-bye. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that was John Parr. Uh, English. Told you. I swear. That's He's right. No, That's proof. Yeah. Um, man, greatest chin in the biz. Oh, man. He's got the dimple, I, I mean, that just won't quit. He's kind of, as far as like on a handsomeness level, he's kind of the Tim Tebow of, of the 80s music biz. That's you awesome. know what I mean? He could have been in the Brat Pack crew. He had the look. Yeah, that's right. He talked a little bit about the video and them uh, not really knowing. That's you know. good. And so now watching the video back, knowing that now. story is, is really funny. That's so. good. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Hope y'all are enjoying uh, the kickstart to movie month. Movie month. We got um, another boom, boom. Uh, blockbuster coming at you next next uh, week kaboom blockbuster video wow what a feeling i don't know no it's different so oh, i, you remember the I did not song, remember it. but can't, you know anyway all right can't can't talk about movies without pat without talking about blockbuster That's at least right. a little bit all right we'll be back next week with another great song until then i'm rob i am jp go listen to some music <laughs>